This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, we talk with writer-director Brett Haley of the new film The Hero, which opens in limited release in New York and Los Angeles on Friday, June 9th. Sam Elliott plays a down-on-his-luck movie star whose former fame as a cowboy hero comes back to haunt him as he is suddenly diagnosed with cancer and faced with his impending mortality. The film also features great performances from Nick Offerman, Kristen Ritter, Laura Prepon, and Sam Elliott's real-life wife and the Oscar-nominated actress from The Graduate, Catherine Ross. You can follow us on Twitter, at Jog Road, Instagram at Jog Road Productions. You can like our Facebook page, Jog Road Productions, and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions, to watch some of our video interviews with Don Cheadle, Ewan McGregor, Moon Zappa, and many more. You can subscribe to the Road to Cinema podcast on iTunes and get a new episode every week. And don't forget to write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. The Hero opens in limited release on Friday, June 9th in New York and Los Angeles and coming soon to theaters around the country. Writer-director Brent Haley on how he crafts his characters, on whether he uses his imagination or if he draws from the actors that are going to be cast in the film. Usually it's from the imagination, but on, on this particular film... Um, I wrote for Sam, you know, Mark Bash, my co-writer and I, we wrote this part specifically for Sam Elliott. There was really nobody else that could play him in our minds. And I think we, while we wrote it for him, we also used our imaginations to create a character that was, I think, different enough from him. I think it's interesting that a lot of people equate Lee Hayden with Sam Elliott just because of a few things that we kind of use in the film, you know, his voice and being known as a Western actor and things like that. But that's about it. You know, Lee and Sam are very different. And I kind of took what I think I wanted to see Sam do on screen and wrote almost from that perspective um, as a performance vehicle for him. Brett then discusses what draws him to some of these actors, such as Sam Elliott and Blythe Danner, from I'll See You In My Dreams, who have been primarily known for their supporting roles, but now have the opportunity to break out into leading roles in ways they've never been used before. I like to think that I I love actors, and I love um, supporting players who've been doing this a long time that maybe have not gotten the chance to shine. I love the big guys and gals, too. You know, I love the Meryl Streeps and the Tom Hanks and the Tom Cruise and the Denzel Washingtons of the world. Um, you know, they're, they're incredible and they have earned, I think their reign for lack of a better word. And I think there's a lot of supporting actors out there who, for whatever reason, that's, that's been their, their plot. They've been, you know, supporting the big guys. Um, and to me, uh, when you make a film at this level, you have the opportunity to put somebody in the driver's seat that maybe normally doesn't get that opportunity. And I don't see why you wouldn't take it. Yeah. I, I don't see why you wouldn't take somebody who everybody loves and say, look, give them 90 minutes. Bly Danner blew everybody away, and I'll see you in my dreams, and rightfully so. It's, it's not like some major discovery. She's an incredible actress. She was ready to go. She was always ready to be a leading lady. And the same with Sam. Sam has always been a leading man. It's just now 
being proven. <laughs> you know, people are at 72 are being like, wow, how come this hasn't happened before? And we're all going, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still shocked that I'm the first guy since the lifeguard to do it. Yeah. I was watching uh, Mask recently. Yeah. Film, yeah. He was so commanding of all the scenes. He was oh, in. yeah. You know, he really carries his weight in every film. The guy never misses. People talk about, what's your fam- favorite Sam Elliott performance? And I'm like, I can't name the one. I'm like, well, I guess Lebowski, but there's Tombstone. Well, Roadhouse, well, he's so good in The Contender. Oh, but have you seen Parks and Rec? Oh, but also he's so incredible in Justified. But, oh, The Ranch, he's super funny in that. Oh, but he's in I'll See You in My Dreams and Grandma and Mask and Lifeguard and Now the Hero. Like, you can go on and on. The guy, Even in, in a movie like Ghost Rider, he pops up and he's incredible. He's incredible in that film. <laughs> he's, and he just pops up and he's just this like, he just like delivers this almost Shakespearean monologue and he's like in it. And it, it, you know, Golden Compass, same thing. The guy can do it all. And it just seemed to me that it was time to give the world just 90 minutes of Sam. Just, just give it to him. I wanted to see him laugh, cry, be in pain, be in joy, be romantic, funny. Tragic. I wanted to see all different, vulnerable, sensitive. I wanted to see all these different sides that I knew he had in him. He's a phenomenal actor. I then ask Brett if he collaborates with his actors during the screenplay writing process. You can't set out to write something to please somebody. I I can't have somebody else's agenda in my mind or in Mark's mind when we write this script together. It's got to be between me and Mark. We write with someone in mind, and that's really helpful in getting getting it right. But you can't think, well, oh, Sam, this might be too close to the bone for Sam, or Blythe might not want to do this. That's not a good way to think. So I come at it from, I separate it. I say, I'm writing this for Sam and what, exactly what Mark and I would want to see. And then we bring it to them and see what they think. So you can't, you can't start there. You can't make a, you know, it's like I said, you can't make a movie thinking critics will love this or audiences, or this is going to make a lot of money or this is going to win an Oscar. It's like, you can't please all these people. It's just, it's just not possible. You know, you have to just do what you, you yeah, you just have to go from the gut and the heart. I mean, what else, what else are we doing this for? If, if not to just put ourselves out there onto the screen and say, well, judge away, but I just made what I wanted to make. You know, and not everyone's going to love your movie and certain people are going to hate your movie. And that's fine. That's just part of being, it's just part of doing this job. But I really try not to think about anybody other than, you know, what Mark and I are trying to do. Um, of course, we hope, we hope people love the movie. We hope, we hope Sam loved the script. You know, we hope Blythe, you know, because we want these to work out. And we're really lucky that it's, it has worked out in that way. But I think to a large degree, um, being as sort of clear of any voices in your head, for lack of a better term, is, is the best way to write. On maintaining your creative vision during the hectic production process and well into the editing process, Brett Haley has edited both of his films, I'll See You in My Dreams and The Hero. It's hard, but the nice thing about movies is this collaborative, and you hopefully are putting yourself around other people that you trust. I have Mark Bash, my co-writer, who I trust. I have great producers who I trust. I trust my actors. I, I trust my DP. I trust my production designer. You know, I, I have people around me that I can look to and say, what do you think? So that I'm not on an island. Being a director is not, 
being on an island. And if you are, you're not doing your job right. The director is a curator. He's someone who brings a group of individuals together and tries to get the best out of them and uses their talents to help service the story that they're trying to tell. You can't do it all on your own. It doesn't work that way. Watch any movie and look at the credits. It's like, that's how many people it took to make that movie. So you can't say, this is my show. You're not writing a novel. You know, and even the great novelists have great editors. Like, you have to have that other voice that's telling you what's working and what's not working. And so I tend to, I tend to take a lot of notes. I tend to listen, even if it pisses me off and I get really angry and I say, no, you're wrong and you're so fucking wrong. And I get angry, you know, and then I come around and I calm down and I say, let me just try it that way. What's it going to hurt to try it? That's the beauty of this, of this art form it's so malleable you can you can change anything on set what what does it hurt to do one take a totally different way it doesn't hurt anybody what does it hurt to cut a scene in in the edit and pop two scenes together and just see how it feels it does it doesn't hurt anybody so i've found over the years and as i get older and frankly more tired <laughs> it's just not worth the battles it's sort of like put people around you that you trust and and try just try it it's not going to hurt to have the conversation. It's not going to hurt to try something different that maybe you didn't come up with. The best idea wins. Brett discusses how as a director, he is always conscious of the editing process, and he plans his shots around how he will eventually edit them. Totally planned and totally thinking about the edit and totally thinking about where do I want to be for the close-up and how do I, uh, you know, manage my actor's energy and time and emotion and, and you know, I don't want to you know, you okay, I, the wide is this. If it's a big emotional scene, you do a big wide. You can kind of tell the actors, hey, you know, depending on if they need to warm up or not. You know, it's like you don't want them to blow the most emotional take in the wide unless that's your master and that's what you're going for. You're going for that. You want to get into those close-ups. You kind of want to let your actors know what your plan is, at least in your head, you know. Most actors are super professional and they'll give you everything they got every take. Yeah, they know how the process. Sure. At the same time, you want to, you kind of get a sense. You're like, oh, this this actor. Some actors come in hot. They're like, money on on takes one through four, but then they lose steam. Other actors take four takes to warm up, and you could be working with one actor who's hot on one through four, and the other one's cold on one through four. Invite, you know what I mean? Like, you have to find your rhythm, and just it's all about reading people and knowing people and trying to figure out the best system. Of of cre- of getting your materials, and as an editor, it's like I you have to. You, let's say you want to do a oneer. Let's say you want to do a long shot. I am not, you know, I don't consider myself to be of the talent of a guy like Inuritu Gonzalez or whatever. You know, guys who are who can who are like this is the shot, and that's it. <laughs> um, and I admire the hell out of guys like that. Um, I'm a little bit more safe in the sense that I'm like, Here, this is the shot, and I really hope it works out, but I'm also going to get close-ups. <laughs> yeah, you got to protect yourself in that. It, it just, it's not worth it at the end of the day, especially on um, when you're as rushed as we are. You know, we have 18... I shot this movie in 18 days, so it's like I don't... Um, you know, th- those shots can be complicated. And you, you, time is everything. You know, a lot of those guys, they get they, they shoot something and they sit with it and they have time and they can go back and do it again if it doesn't work or do it a different way. And that's that's the real value in filmmaking. That's where the money comes in when you have more time. 
time is money. Um, when you've got a bunch of actors and a bunch of crew and location permits and equipment and gear and you're paying everybody's insurance and unions and every day is a very yeah, expensive. Romantic yes. Of making a movie. Yeah. And, and every day is quite expensive. When you start looking at all those things, you say, wow, this day is costing X amount. So every day is a, is a gift. And I don't get to do do-overs. I don't get to go back, at, the, at least at this level, at this point. So I have to try to get as much material as I can so that I'm protected in the edit because I can't go back and shoot it again. Nine times out of ten, you can't do pickups on the, on the budget level and schedule of, the, of a movie like this. On how a director must be conscious of the budget and logistical problems that go into the production of a film and how those problems can seemingly pay off creatively in solutions that may have not seemed obvious. Part of my job is understanding what it means practically to make a film, especially on, in 18 days or for a low budget or for whatever it may be. You can't be blind and say, this is my vision and fuck you if you don't like it. We're getting, you know, it's like, that's, it's not how it works. You have to, you have to be able to understand the reality of things. And oftentimes the reality of a situation will bring out better creative decisions. You know, if you're put, if you're, if, if, if somebody comes to you and says, uh, if somebody comes to me and says, Brett, um, this, um, the scene that you want to do in the rain with the, you know, whatever, something like that. I'm just throwing something out there. Um, it, it's really expensive. It's going to be really hard to do. It's night exterior. It's a you know, rain rig that's going to cost a lot of money. Got to have the crew here. That's going to be a hard turnaround. for. So here's all the problems with this scene. Um, do we really need it? And then I have to look at it and go, yes or no. And sometimes you look at it, and I swear to God, nine times out of ten, you go, actually, this doesn't need to be in the rain. Why is it in the rain? Let me think about it a different way. Can I do it this way? You know, then you start getting creative. And then you start asking the big question, which is why? Why? Why are, am I doing it this way? Why does this scene have to take place at the airport, on a plane, in a car, in the subway? Very difficult locations to shoot in. Why? Why? Can it take place somewhere else that is maybe even more cinematic at the end of the day? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, I wrote this scene in the car, so it's got to be in the car. Well, why? Well, because I wrote it in the car. Well, does it need to be in the car? Could they be, like, pulled over at a gas station? Could they be on the side of a road? Could they be parked in the car? Could they be walking? I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it. And when you look at, and if you're engaged with the budget and you're engaged with the schedule and you're engaged with your team of practical people who are helping you pull this off, in many ways you can make a better movie because you're saying, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? You're not just doing it because you can. You're looking at it from a creative perspective. Yeah, it becomes a creative perspective. It forces you to face the music in many ways and say, well, why, you know, if, if, if there's a path of least resistance. But sometimes you'll say, no, this is worth the fight. This is worth the battle to try and do it this but way. But you, have to, but you have to say, why? Yeah. If, you, if I can't sit and tell the money people, this is why it has to be this way, then, then, I, then you know, I shouldn't be able to do it that way. You know, and I, I, I hope as I, um, I hope I remember that, you know, as I, I, I think one day I'll be making bigger films and certainly that's my, my goal. I, I love making films of this size, but I'd love to make bigger films and studio films that have more time and money. But I hope I keep that in mind. I hope that I don't just get yes all the time. I think no is good. No is um, a really healthy thing to hear from time to time. But having people around you be objective with you and give you honest feedback. I think that's so essential. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's all about who's around you. If you got people around you that you can't, that don't have your best intentions at heart, then you, you, you might be getting told no for the wrong reason and, or, or, or being asked things for the wrong reason. I, I've been very lucky that I've built a team up around me of people that I trust and can lean on. And, and if they come to me and say, Brett, this is not, we shouldn't be doing it this way. They're doing it for a very good reason. They're not doing it just to make my life hard or to make their lives easier. They're doing it because there's a real valid reason why. And lastly, I asked Brett how his career has been defined by his last two films, I'll See You in My Dreams and The Hero, and how he would like to do other projects moving forward. I'm still figuring that out. I've made two films that I think a lot of people see as similar. I, I don't, but I mean, you know, they just happen to be about people of a certain age, at the center at least. Um, but no, I'm... I love genre. I love movies of all shapes and sizes. I would love to make a musical. I would love to make an action film. I would love to do a Star Wars movie. You know, I would love to do a grounded, you know, you know, drama or a horror movie. I, I, I love movies. So I, I think this idea, and, and the hero speaks to this. The hero speaks to putting someone in a box and saying to Lee Hayden, the character that Sam plays, you're a Western guy, you did that one movie, we're good now. We don't need you anymore. You did that one thing, you know? As a society, we like to put filmmakers and actors and artists into a box. No, you only do that one thing. So keep doing that. And I think that's bullshit. And I think that most filmmakers, and we're starting to see it a little bit, everyone's talking about Wonder Woman right now, as they should be. Patty Jenkins is a massive talent. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, who would have thought Patty Jenkins could do Wonder Woman? I'm like, well, I did. Have you seen Monster? It's amazing. She can do it. She has all of the tools that can, that they can easily be moved from one genre to another. It's not like they're, it's like Chris Nolan made great superhero movies. No one would have thought that necessarily. There's no reason to put any filmmaker into a box. If anything, it's let them, you know, try different things. Let them, let them expand. And maybe they fail, but, you know, it's like, I really think that you can do anything. I, yeah. I, I, it's like when you look back at Tim Burton when he did Batman, you would never necessarily think going in Tim Burton and Batman. But no. You see it, it makes, it makes sense. total sense. Yeah. And it's the same thing, you know, Jordan Peele coming off of Key and Peele. Who would have thought Get Out was inside of that guy? And how incredible that film is and how funny and, and it's so, it has so much dread. You know, it's so, it's so disturbing in such a fun and crazy way and that he tapped into something so real. I don't know that people saw that coming from him. They're probably like, go make a slapstick kind of goofy sketch-like movie. And he said, no, I'm going to do this. And, you know, uh, again, I think it's when we, people are expecting me to continue to make films about people of a certain age probably at this point, and I'm not going to. I'm going to make something next that surprises everyone and pops them in the face with something totally different and is like full of life and energy and it's going to be a totally different thing. And then I'd like to go do and do something else or do something dark. Or, I'm, I'm interested in the studio world. I'm interested in doing all of that stuff, but it's got to be the right story. It's got to be something that I care about so you know same with actors you know don't just say to nick offerman you can only play guys who do woodworking that's boring he yeah. can do anything he's an incredible actor let him shine yeah. same with sam Reason same with all these guys or, uh, too, nick, offerman nick offerman can yeah. do any fucking thing anything 
probably better than everybody else. He's an incredible actor, and um, you get to see a little bit of a different side of him in The Hero, and I'm proud of that. Same goes for Laura Prepon and Kristen. They're more than their most famous roles, period. And um, I think this movie, I go to lengths to show that. I, I just don't like it when people get put into the corner or the box. You know, there's, I think that artists should be able to try a bunch of different things. You know, it's like great when a, when a serious actor does a, does a comedy and vice versa. You know, when Tom Cruise shows up in, uh, uh, what's that, Ben's Th- Tropic Thunder. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, who, who thought he had that him, you know, in him? And Ben Stiller obviously saw that. But then you also take a comedic actor like Jim Carrey when he was, you know, when he was doing all those really kind of big slapsticky roles and he was genius at it. And then you throw him into Eternal Sunshine or, you know, Man on the Moon. I mean, there's Robin Williams was a great example of that. His performance in Goodwill Hunting is like, these guys can do it. These guys can, you know, they can do anything. Meryl Streep can do anything. <laughs> You know what I mean? Viola Davis can do anything. Viola Davis could be, I bet if you put her in a comedy, she'd kill it. I mean, you know, it's like we don't have to keep these people in their in their safe spaces. I think it's fun to see them just break out and do something totally. Like when Hoffman was in that Stiller movie, Along Came Polly. He just plays this wacky guy. You know, it's like he's like one of the, he was like one of the great actors ever, movie actors. I'd love to see like Daniel Day-Lewis do like a comedy. You know, I bet he'd be hilarious. I mean, he is hilarious, and like, and I find parts of There Will Be Blood to be just so darkly funny, but of his delivery, he doesn't get any funnier than you know. I'm when he says these people. That's it's the timing is impeccable. So, again, I I I think that we we like to just kind of keep people in their safe little areas, and and where's the fun in that? Thanks for listening to the Road to Cinema podcast. And remember, The Hero opens in limited release on Friday, June 9th in New York and Los Angeles and more cities through the summer.